0: Hello, 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 so who knew there can be up to 27 hormone-disrupting chemicals in mainstream period products? It's a really shocking fact that not many people are aware of, considering you're putting period products in or near your body every single month. However, Riley period products, on the other hand, contain zero bleach, toxins or harmful chemicals, and I'm absolutely delighted to announce that Riley are sponsoring my podcast this month. Riley is an Irish female-founded period care subscription service for 100% organic cotton products. They believe you've got the right to know exactly what you're putting into your body every month, which is exactly why they started this business. They also don't want to lock you into anything, which is why you can cancel and reactivate your subscription at any time, no strings attached. And they've kindly given me a discount code for 15% off your first 3 months of period products. Simply head to their website, www.weareily.com and you can use the code Shane15, S-H-A-N-E, fifteen S H A N E one and get your Eco Period products conveniently delivered to you and when you need them the most. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Podcast. So today is a very special episode because tomorrow, if you're not aware, is World Menopause Day in 2022. So the 18th of October is World Menopause Day. And I think it's important to have these open honest discussions and bring that education that knowledge and understanding what your body can celebrate and being able to understand what's actually going on so i'm really really happy to have had emma bardwell on and this is a really really open chat so emma is a registered nutritionist based over in the uk health writer and author of the perimenopause solution so her interests mainly include perimenopause and menopause when it started beginning symptoms around 10 years ago for herself but there wasn't enough information out there and Emma decided to educate herself and become the go-to source for the reliable education information that can be that people can readily access and now Emma has the book which is the perimenopause solution but is also working with a lot of different clients and we we speak about so much on this episode from What is perimenopause? Menopause, we talk about, is alcohol a dangerous cocktail with perimenopause? And if so, why? We talk about the different options available to you if you do or don't want to go for HRT, which is a personal option. We talk about the perimenopause toolkit, which is in the book. We also talk about if your cycle is still regular, what are your options and what to watch out for? Is it still perimenopause or is it classified as perimenopause? We also talk about what can we do for your health? at that next stage we talk about bone health the importance of that what can be done we talk about training what can be done around that we talk about hair loss which isn't really talked about enough around perimenopause we talk about sex life and how to kind of overcome that element of not feeling withdrawn and that kind of insecurity feeling that can happen as well and we also break a few myths about metabolism and all that kind of thing so I really hope you enjoy this episode with Emma Bardwell and I would highly recommend to get the perimenopause solution book i'll put the link into the show notes so i really really hope you guys enjoy this episode emma how are we
1: i am doing okay over here in london how are you
0: i am fantastic yeah we were chatting off air and i think this is a really really important episode especially with uh, what's kind of coming up uh on the day after we release this episode uh world menopause day so can can you let us know who you are what you're about and what and your purpose and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go from there
1: Yeah. So what is my purpose? That's a good question. I am a registered nutritionist and I specialize in menopause. Um, And I decided to do that quite a few years ago, kind of way before this Davina effect uh, that we've just been talking about kind of took place um, because I was seeing that in my clinic, there were lots of women who basically weren't getting the answers that they needed when it came to hormones and particularly perimenopause and menopause. Um, So, you know, you will know, your listeners will know that women's health is very kind of under-researched. Women are underserviced and, you know, there's lots of misinformation out there. So I guess I set up my platform, uh, my social media channel, um, and I've written a book subsequently, in order to kind of cut through that noise and and, and those myths and just get some, you know, realistic, practical, evidence-based solutions out for women.
0: And how did you kind of learn or how did you fall into that specialization of those going through perimenopause and menopause?
1: Well, it was really because I was going through it myself. Um, that I decided to really kind of hone in and specialize. So I found that I wasn't getting the answers that I needed and then educated myself. And as a result, wanted to kind of bring that information out to the women that I was seeing. So it was because I, so I was 42. I was categorically told because, you know, I'd studied endocrinology. I was uh, you know I've done my uh, anatomy my physiology my biochemistry I I knew what what it was to you know for hormones to feel off uh, but when I went to my GP I was told I was too young to be um, perimenopausal and, and you know and I hear that a lot I, I hear this story from women you know every single day they are told oh no you're you're way too young to be perimenopausal and of course you're not so you know the average age of menopause is 51 the average age of perimenopause which is that lead up to menopause and menopause just means the the you know your the end of your periods basically so the final day of your of your last period ever essentially perimenopause peri just means around the time of. so it's just that lead up to and it can take it can last for some women you know 10 12 years so If you think that the average age of menopause is 51, if you're thinking, you know, a decade before that, then yeah, lots of women will be perimenopausal, you know, end of their 30s, beginning of their 40s. And that was me. And that's lots of women I see. It's probably lots of women you see, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah, we were talking about kind of a few things kind of before we went on air about kind of certain situations and stuff. And I definitely found that in the last, in particular, the last six months, I think People are a lot more aware of how their bodies are and what was the kind of like the previous norm for them and what's the new norm for them and understanding that change and knowing that they're not alone on it. I think that's what we really want to talk about today is that next chapter in their lives and knowing what processes and steps that they have available to them and knowing that they're not alone because their friends are going through it. Their families have gone through it. Their mothers have gone through it previously before. How different have you seen this, the, the scenario change with the whole Davina McCall thing over in the UK I know it's celebrated over here with a documentary that went out onto our main channel and with Davina McCall how big a shift have you seen in the conversations that have started
1: yeah it's a huge shift you know it's, it's brilliant in many ways People are talking about it. I think some, you know, lots of people are moaning that people are talking about it too much. I don't think you can talk about it too much because there are still, and we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, there's still, I still see after every event that I do, you know, a lot of women coming up to me and saying, my God, I had no idea. So, you know, there's still a lot of women falling through that net. I don't think you can talk about it too much. And, and you know, when we do get to that point, then we will have done our job. You know, I can rest easy. But, um Yeah, the Davina effect is certainly in terms of HRT, it's having a, a massive impact, which is brilliant. But we do need, it's almost like the pendulum has swung really fast. So it's gone from 2002 when we had the Women's Health Initiative, which was this study that kind of put the kibosh on HRT and everyone started worrying about the fact that, you know, they um, linked it with breast cancer. Then we've kind of we're swinging far, really far the other way, so that everybody is talking about HRT and and how important it is. And I think a lot of women are almost getting that homo, whereby they're thinking, my God, you know, if I don't take HRT, my bones are going to crumble and, you know, I'm going to kind of fall off this cliff. And the women who've had breast cancer or who just don't want to take it are thinking, my God, you know, these conversations are kind of leaving me out. So we just really need to, as with all health, you know, conversations, we need to keep a kind of equilibrium, I think.
0: Yeah, the extremes are very, very easy when it comes to nutrition and health and normally it's somewhere lies somewhere in the middle. You mentioned a few things there and I think the big one I want to bring up is the options for those who have had breast cancer or breast cancer is in the family. What are their options when it comes to HRT or that managing that next chapter of their lives?
1: Yeah. So obviously I'm not a doctor. So um, I it's very much a conversation to be had because ev- with your GP, because every your GP can or a medical specialist can, you know, ascertain what your you know, they'll look at your medical history. They'll look at your family history. They will look at your lifestyle and and, and work out whether or not it is suitable for you. So it's it's very much an individual um, you know, an individual kind of basis. Um, but there are, I think it's it's important for women to know that there are lots of different options out there. And even if you take HRT, you st- it's still not a kind of magic panacea. It doesn't answer everything. You've still got to think about your diet. You've still got to think about exercise, you know, particularly resistance training. You've got to think about stress reduction and future-proofing your bones. Um, you know, there's lots of supplements out there. There is... We need to be working on our sleep. You know, sleep is a massive issue for lots of women. Um, and there's lots of non-hormone medication that, you know, pharmaceutical medication that doctors can prescribe for women who perhaps um, are on tamoxifen or who've had breast cancer and who just cannot or do not want to go down that HRT route. I think it's important for women to realise that there it doesn't stop at HRT. You know, there's lots and lots of different things that we can talk about.
0: You mentioned resistance training <laughs> yeah. and I train mainly people with menstrual cycles or I've had menstrual cycles. And I think the, the importance of having some element of resistance training can't really be underplayed or it can't be played even further because the, the impact it has on mental health and also has on bone health. And I think that's what I want to talk about. How much of an impact does it actually have on bone health and why, why do why are some people going through that shift? Are afraid to almost go into the gym or train with weights? What is the what is the stigma? Or what is the the anxiousness that kind of is created or can be for for some people going through that stage?
1: I think with when it comes to exercise, fitness, movement, I think for lots of women we have to remember that if they are really flawed by their symptoms, and a lot of women are, they're not sleeping, they've got terrible um, you know, low self-esteem, poor body image, they're putting on weight, they're anxious. Um, you know, sometimes the last thing they want to do is to get, get some lycra on and go down the gym. I, I think they can feel, you know, women feel very vulnerable at this time. So we have to be very compassionate with women. Um, but yeah, I, 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 think a lot of women, there's still this, this terrible stigma, isn't there? The, the weights are going to make you bulky, which is just bonkers. Um, but yeah, I think, and and also I think even from sort of guidelines, we talk about 150 minutes of movement, but we always forget those two sessions of resistance training that are part of that those guidelines that don't really get enough airtime. And you, you're you're right. You know, building muscle I think is so important, and it has such a knock on impact with confidence with body shape you know lots of women are, uh, are really worrying about things like weight gain at this time um so they're kind of pounding the pavements going on these kind of hardcore real kind of high aerobic high intensity type exercise regimes which actually uh, you know in the long run can be quite detrimental i think they're quite hard to stick to they kind of raise cortisol um, and actually you don't need to be doing hours and hours. You just need to make it really kind of focused. Um, and I think in terms of, of, of building weights, uh, building muscle, sorry, you know, lots of women are post kind of 35, we start to lose our muscle mass, as you will know. Um, and so building that back up is so beneficial for so many different things, including bone health, but also in terms of, you know, keeping your metabolism ramped up.
0: Yeah, and I think I think as you said, like it is that fear of kind of getting bulky. I really wish it was that easy to build muscle. I really, really do. And I think people don't realize how difficult it is. The first two years, it's it's amazing. You've got these things on newbie gains. It's the nicest thing in the world. And then you have to fight for every single little morsel of every little bit morsel of muscle. So if you're looking for that kind of like, I'm going to put this in inverted commas, into air quotes of Kind of toned. Toned means build muscle, and I think the media has led up to this thing of like, I want to be—you're going to get that toned look. That means building muscle, so that's going to involve some sort of resistance training, which is weights training or going to the gym, where you can do them at home, whatever you feel you need to do. Driving yourself insane with hit sessions. Hit sessions are amazing, but then if you're not sleeping. You're stressed all the time. You've no energy. You've got brain fog. The last thing you want to do is jump on jacks or burpees onto the ground. So it's figuring out what will work for you. I'm all for maybe two sessions a week of resistance training. They could be 20, 30 minutes, whatever you can feel, or whatever you can get done. And then walking. That's going to be great for your mental health. Because I think the mental health shift has is being spoken about now. How important for you was it to have support at that next stage for you? And what can be done more for people going through that next chapter for mental health protection?
1: Yeah, well, mental health and, you know, there's nothing more empowering than seeing, you know, than feeling strong. So I think mental health and building muscle is, you know, the, the two are kind of inextricably linked. And I think just looping back as well to what you were saying we're not, it's not even, it's not about aesthetics necessarily. It's about future proofing your health. It's about getting, being able to get off the toilet when you're 80. It's, do you know what I mean? It, we need to be looking at it in terms of, of kind of far reaching um, health outcomes too, not just about the kind of here and now. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the mental health side of things, you know, we talk about hot flushes, we talk about night sweats a lot, but the, the, the kind of symptoms that really, um, that women find very dis, um, debilitating are those psychological symptoms. And they're the ones that aren't really talked about. And they can feel quite insidious. They can kind of creep up. Um, and I see quite a lot of women feeling very... Um, isolated, they almost start to kind of become like like hermits. So they stop socialising because they simply don't feel like themselves anymore. Um, And that's devastating. You know, women are are leaving their jobs. They are, you know, some women are feeling like they just can't continue anymore. Very much that side of things needs to be talked about more. Um, In terms, I mean, HRT is, is one of the first line kind of therapies for uh, things, you know, mental health kind of issues, but movement, exercise, all of these things are a really beneficial diet too. You know, there's lots to be said for, I mean, on Instagram, obviously there's always people promising the earth, you know, promising the world from, from, uh, like, I don't know, men, a six week men, belly body blitz diet or a hormone balancing, you know, these are kind of red flags to me. Uh, there's no such thing as a menopause diet, but but following a Mediterranean-style way of eating, you know, that the famous SMILES trial that was carried out a few years ago and that's been replicated many times focuses on a Mediterranean, you know, anti-inflammatory style way of eating. Um, and almost, I think it was a third of the participants who were depressed or, you know, moderately depressed actually went into remission. So, Whilst I don't think food is medicine, I do think it's incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah, and I think we could all all do with kind of shifting towards the Mediterranean diet. It doesn't matter what age you are, and there's also research being put out to kind of aid alongside recovery with kind of COVID and stuff as well. So there's a lot of a lot of benefits of the Mediterranean diet a lot yeah. because we can all do with getting more veggies and fruit and we know what to do a lot of us about getting more fruit or veggies in but we're too busy living these stressful lives that we've created for, and our bodies are are shot our bodies can't deal with the amount of stress and overwhelm and devices that we have in our room at night and not sleeping and stuff as well so like nutrition isn't medicine but it can aid you along somewhere in the line to delay that kind of like Those symptoms, if you're not getting enough protein, your bone health is going to go down. If you're not getting calcium, your bone health will go down. If you're not getting carbs, you may not have no energy. Um, That's probably one of the first line things that probably people are going to cut is carbs. Carbs are fun. Carbs are class. You're a much nicer person with them in your life. So please stop cutting them out. Um, You talk about...
1: They're a huge source of fiber. You know, no one talks about, you know, the gut health side of things. Um, If you're not eating carbs, then you are basically not getting enough fiber. And we really need to be focusing on gut health, particularly at this time, because, you know, lots of women will find that their digestion slows down. Um, we obviously know that it has a kind of knock on effect with mood and immunity and things like that. So, yeah, carbs, you know, I think there's this thing of, oh, my God, a car. you know, equating Diet Coke or, you know, Coke and croissants and crisps as carbs. It's like, well, they're not really, are they? We're talking about complex carbs. We're also talking about including, you know, we're we're including everything fats. So there's a real propensity, I'm 50, there's a real propensity for women of my age to kind of equate fat fats with, you know, making them fat. Um, but they are the raw materials for creating steroid hormones. So we need to make sure that we are including them into our diets. Um, and I think there's also a real kind of propensity for women to want a quick fix. Nobody wants to hear that, you know, you've just got to eat quite sensibly 80% of the time and you've got to do it consistently it's boring it's it's not sexy it doesn't sell does it
0: no it really really doesn't like yeah I wouldn't buy it <laughs> and I, I'm aware of what's going on so yeah and I think uh, people also forget that like fruit and veggies are carbohydrates. When people think of carbohydrates, they think of like cakes, pastries, croissants, as you mentioned. They forget that fruit and veggies are carbohydrates as well. So if you're cutting out carbs, you're cutting out fruit and veggies, which we know will age with bloating, digesting, keeping you fuller for longer, minerals, vitamins, so many different uh, main elements of it. You have a kind of a perimenopause toolkit. Can you kind of elaborate on what that is and how people can use it?
1: Yeah. So the toolkit was really the basis of my book. So my book's called The Perimenopause Solution. Um, And it is kind of based on the fact that every woman's experience of menopause, you know, is completely unique. So there's no two women who will experience it in exactly the same way. So each toolkit is going to look kind of very different. But essentially what I tried to create was a kind of pick and mix approach whereby women choose what works for them uh, because we've all got different lifestyles different tastes you know different family commitments jobs you know blah 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 blah. so you know the basics of what we've already talked about are there so we uh, i've written it actually with a menopause doctor so that we could cover the medicine and the lifestyle and the nutrition side of things so we cover nutrition we cover exercise we cover stress reduction which is really important for mental health Um, symptom relief so we go through all the symptoms and we give ideas of how you can relieve them Um, we talk about hrt we talk about non-hormone approaches because there are lots of non-hormone approaches Um, we talk about supplements you know mental health sex gut health weight loss we cover it all and what we've tried to do is to explain what's actually happening so a little bit of kind of um you know the science behind it But then we've tried to really make sure that women understand how these individual topics can help. And then, and I think this is what kind of sets our book apart from all the others, because there are quite a few now, Uh, we provide a list of realistic kind of actionable, but also very evidence-based tips that women can do to make their, you know, their menopause transition better. So it's very solutions-based. I think women are very tired around this time. They're very vulnerable. They're struggling to kind of think straight, And we've tried to cut through all of that fuss, Um, you know, limit. We we don't talk about fads. We've tried to make it easy so that women can decide what is going to work for them and how they can put these actionable solutions into place.
0: You mentioned a three-letter word in there called sex. How how much of a – because obviously when – the insecurities and stuff get rampant ramped up around that time for, for individuals going through the next chapter in their lives. And there's obviously there can be vaginal dryness for some people as well. Like a lot of of symptoms. How can you kind of approach that topic with the partner or yourself? How can you approach that for yourself to kind of make sure you're still having some sort of active sex life to make it to make yourself almost feel like attractive and that you're worthwhile and your self-worth and increase all that kind of stuff. How how can we approach that?
1: It's tricky, isn't it? It's right. really tricky. I think it's tricky on both sides. Um there's lots of kind of secrecy and, and and shame around this topic. So I think the more that we talk about it, um the better. But I think from a just a, a you know a physiological point of view, I think it's important that women recognize that certain symptoms, they're quite easy actually to, to overcome. So, you know, even if you can't take systemic HRT, localized estrogen, most women, even women who have had breast cancer can take that and it can be life-changing. So vaginal dryness is no fun for anybody. Some, some women find it really hard to even, you know, to wear jeans, to, to ride a bike, to sit down, even to walk you know, is is really uncomfortable. So localised oestrogen is so, it's so easily prescribed. In fact, you know, it's one of the things that um, is changing and you can now buy it. It's called Gina. You can buy it in boots. You can buy it over the counter. That's how safe and accessible um, it should be. Uh, but so I think it, it's raising awareness so that women know that these kind of options are available to them, you know, and talking about the fact that, we lots of women, so oestrogen actually kind of is quite lubricating. So a lot of women will suffer when, when those levels start to decline. They will suffer from dry eyes. You know, their skin will become incredibly dry, vaginal dryness, all of these things. Um, but they can be overcome, just like you moisturize your face. You know, you can invest in things like uh, vaginal vulva. Uh, Moisturisers, lubricants. So I haven't really answered your question, but but there are definitely solutions out there. And I think once it then becomes less painful, physio- you know, physically, then perhaps it's a lot easier to start having that conversation. Because who wants to have sex when they are, you know, when it's penetrative sex, when it's, you know, incredibly painful? That's miserable for 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 everybody.
0: Yeah, I, I think you have answered the question. I think it's it's important to know the options and kind of feeling that like you're in a safe place in order to discuss it with yourself or your partners or partner or whatever it may be. Um, one of the big things that kind of comes up, I think, for an awful lot of people is that they you can still go through perimenopause, even if your cycles are still regular. Can you, because I think the irregular cycles is one of the first things that people look for as a set of symptoms. Can you kind of explain this a little bit more and actually what to watch out for when you're kind of going through perimenopause?
1: Yeah, and lots of GPs don't recognise this too, sadly. So a lot of women are turned away and, and told that they, you know, it can't be perimenopause because they're still having cycles, which clearly is, is, you know, not accurate information. So I think it's important for women to, be really aware of what's happening with their cycles. So, so if they're not, then to start tracking it on something, you know, an app like Clue or even just writing it in the diary. But, but noting down, even if it's regular, noting down any changes. So if your periods become lighter, you know, quite often they can become lighter or they can become a lot heavier so women experience real kind of flooding they might become shorter they might become longer but they can still be really regular so it's very important yeah that women are aware that regular cycles but if you've got all these other symptoms you know it doesn't mean that you're not perimenopausal and there's a if you google if women google something called the green climacteric scale they can find those symptoms there's 34 um, I have them in the back of my book as well. but I would say there's probably at least double that, you know, if not more, because we have estrogen receptors literally from the you know the follicles in our scalp right down to the the joints in our toes. So you can literally feel the effects from 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 head to toe.
0: Yeah, I, no I, I think it is kind of like knowing what was potentially normal for you beforehand when you sp- spoke about tracking your cycle. Knowing what's normal for you is probably one of the first stages of like, right, I've either got a shortened cycle or I've got a lengthened cycle or I've got a heavy flow or I'm having spotting or I've missed a cycle. When do you ovulate? When does your temperature rise up? All this kind of stuff. Clue, Kandara, natural cycles are some of the things that I would kind of recommend, pen and paper if you want to go old school. Is it does work and knowing what's normal for you? And then you'll be able to say, right, something isn't right here. Something may be in my lifestyle, or I'll keep a track of this for a couple of weeks. And then you can go and prepare that and kind of present that to the doctor as like almost a case study of yourself saying, right, this is what it was, this is what it is now. And uh, like something is slightly off. And then getting your hormone screen and seeing exactly what's going on because one of the something is happening, something is off of the body. If one of those things is happening, so we need to adjust it's either your lifestyle or this could be something on going on with your hormones or dropping hormone levels or an increase in hormone levels or whatever it may be. So it is important knowing what is normal for you. Um, yeah. You mentioned.
1: Important, sorry, just to jump in there. Yeah. It's imp- to let women know if they're over the age of 45 and your GP should know this, you don't need to be screened for hormones. So because you're because they're in such a sort of state of flux in perimenopause, it's actually not that helpful to to get your hormones um tested. So if you're over 45, there's no need. Your your GP should be able to go by, is it called a clinical diagnosis? They will go by your symptoms. If you're under 45 40 yeah there could be an argument but even then you know uh, one day your your um, hormones could be really high the next they could be really low so if you're under the age of 40 and you're getting them screened I would make sure that you remind your GP you know that they will need to do them probably twice and you know six weeks apart and at the same kind of point in your cycle if you are still cycling regularly in order to get that more of a kind of
0: baseline. Have you seen them? I'm not sure what it's like over in the UK compared to over here. Have you seen clients having difficulty getting a hormone screen if they're kind of at that stage of like below 40 or just slightly above it of getting a hormone screen?
1: No, I don't. I, I see what I see more of is is doctors doing the hormone test and saying they're totally in normal and in range. Therefore, there's nothing wrong. That that's that's the the, the more common kind of presentation, actually. Um Yeah, which is why, uh, you know, for for younger women, we need to remember that. So if you Google, you know, menopausal women, you will find usually a white woman who's 50 with grey hair, with a, you know, standing by the fridge or with a fan um, wearing elasticated trousers. But we need to remember that, you know, this happens to all women. So my youngest client is 14. It happens to women in their 20s, 30s, you know, it under the age of 40 it's one in a hundred women you know go through menopause under the age of 40 one in a thousand under the age of 30 and one in 10,000 under the age of 20 but for those women who are young and it's called POI premature ovarian insufficiency for them it takes a long time in quite often it takes about seven years in order to get a diagnosis so You know, I think there's probably those numbers are probably higher because actually we're not even aware a lot of women are slipping through that net. Um, So it really does pay to to know what you're talking about, to to get evidence based information. And sadly, quite a lot of women are having to really kind of advocate for themselves um, and really kind of push and get second and third opinions.
0: Yeah, those stats are madness. Yeah. Yeah. It's those thoughts are madness. And as you said, they are probably higher because there's other people not presenting themselves to medical professionals or whatever, maybe. Yeah. So I think it's knowing the options and knowing that there is support there for you. It's interesting that you find it the other way. I think here in Ireland, I've found an awful lot is like, what are you trying for a baby? And then if you're not trying for a baby, it's kind of like, well, there's no issue. (laughs) That's generally what I have found from clients. kind of like, well, right, we need to go and probably get a new GP or we probably need to go past the gatekeeper and actually have a proper chat with your GP rather than trying to use either the, the, the receptionist or the nurse or whatever it may be, or the assistant, because it's generally that gatekeeper that could be, could be kind of blocking it because it's like, well, are you trying to, are you trying to have a baby? And they're like, no, so then what's the issue? It's like, but well, I don't feel right. I don't feel like myself. And, and that's the, like, if you have it, if you're able to present a set of symptoms and be able to like almost have an argument for yourself, it's your body you're entitled to get your hormone screened. It's kind of like getting an MOT over in the UK. If your car isn't working properly or the engine is failing, you're entitled to go get an MOT to get it fixed or bring it to the garage. Your body is the exact same and you need to get under the hood to see exactly what's going on and you're able to present that and you should be able to present that kind of like stigma free. And I think that's one of the big things we are talking about. What an.
1: Had that the own you know that women are just seen as the you know the only time it's important is is whether they you know want to get pregnant or not i mean not everyone wants to have a baby yeah. it, that that's the thing that i find really maddening
0: yeah it, it's i think it, i think it is changing now because i think there's a lot more kind of like people talking about it I and mean, as you said it's kind of going from one extreme to the next extreme um but it's it's about knowing what options are out there and knowing what what your case is and kind of knowing your rights as well one of the um i'm going this is going to be an unpopular question i know this already i'm going to get backfire on this alcohol and perimenopause <laughs> what uh what's what's the deal with alcohol and perimenopause i am going to duck for cover now <laughs> yeah.
1: it's um yeah it's not good news unfortunately it is they're just they don't seem to be great kind of uh bedfellows at this time so it's Alcohol, I think your tolerance, women's tolerance to alcohol lowers around this time, so they get drunk quicker. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, They get horrendous hangovers. You know, their symptoms increase, not just a few hours later, but for the next kind of 24 to 48 hours. Um, And those symptoms, the particularly kind of prevalent ones are things like flushes and, and night sweats and anxiety. So I think there's lots of things at play here so we have less of the enzyme dehydrogenase which actually breaks alcohol down we um we have less muscle so you know uh, and less kind of we're less hydrated so sometimes that it, i maybe that alcohol this is my theory can become kind of almost more concentrated we are more prone to blood sugar dysregulation at this time so that means that those kind of high sugar types of alcohol can really throw women kind of off whack um and 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 that when your blood sugar is off it can really lead to quite um uh like quite considerable feelings of anxiety and it often leads women i think to to feeling t- to those kind of cravings and making poorer food choices I, you know, alcohol messes with sleep. It just doesn't matter how old you are; um, it leads to extra fluctuations in hormones. So things like palpitations and flushes and um, mood swings, depression, they kind of kick in. And we also think that it reduces the effect of HRT. So that's definitely something for for women to kind of have in the back of their minds. It destroys you know gut bacteria which can lead to increased inflammation it affects circadian rhythms it contributes to weight gain it increases risk of breast cancer so you know the list is not looking great any
0: positives I
1: love it um i just have to personally i have to be quite choosy about when i partake um It has to be, you know, it has to be worth it. And I have to know, I have to recognize that probably the next day I'm going to feel pretty shit. Um, But I think for women who are really, you know, flawed by their symptoms, who are really floundering, I would, I do strongly advise lots of my clients, you know, just to remove it completely um, until, at least until they are feeling, you know, more on top of things. Because it really does fuck with your head, doesn't it? You know, it makes you feel really pretty low
0: that's why i don't drink i gave up drink like 2017 i just i had a, I had a health scare um blood clots and fluid on my lungs and my head space i got i had situational depression and i just was like i'm not dealing with this anxiety anymore so i was like stop drinking like you mentioned the anxiety element of it and if your mood and your self-worth and your self-esteem are kind of low already alcohol is a natural depressant or it's a, it is a depressant like it's but I don't. I don't want someone to be sitting here like Shane sitting on his ivory tower or Emma sitting on ivory tower. Emma just says that she drinks, but she chooses wisely when she drinks. It's like, well, I've got a special occasion coming up or having a date night or whatever it may be. But it's not all the time. It's not going out to infernos every single Friday and Saturday. If you're if you're if you're in, if you're in infernos anyway, I judge you anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there. Um, what about something about hair loss? Okay, this is a topic that hasn't been, I don't think it's been discussed enough because it can be a, it is a weird chapter, whether you're male or female or someone who has a menstrual cycle, because I know when I was losing my hair, it was a pain in the hole. I was not dealing with it well, and then I just ripped it and just shaved it off when I was away. But I can only imagine what it's like going through for a, someone who has a menstrual cycle, because for a long time your hair has been like it's been long or it's whatever and you're so used to tying it up and stuff and it can be like an element of like a beauty accessory if that makes sense so how how to manage kind of hair loss during perimenopause is, is the next question
1: yeah it's um it can it can leave people feeling very vulnerable and um you know you know it's it's it gives you confidence um it is So I, I, you will probably see this too, actually. I see lots of women going through quite faddy and very restrictive diets the minute they start to see their body changing sort of in perimenopause. So, you know, lots of women, we've touched on this already, will start taking carbs out. They will start really kind of reducing their calorie intake. And this can have a really pronounced knock-on effect with things like hair. Um, So I think – and also, you know, we're not eating enough – lots of us are not eating enough protein, lots of women. So I I get my clients to fill in a food diary and I see a lot of soup and salads, particularly for lunch, you know, and they're not starting the day with enough protein. They're they're basically not having protein with every meal, which is, you know, clearly the kind of foundations of of, of what we're always teaching. Um, They're not eating enough. They are, yeah, fatty diets. If you are somebody who is experiencing flooding or really, really heavy periods, which is really common, then you're losing a lot of iron. So a lot of women are walking around with very low ferritin levels. um, And that can have a very pronounced effect on hair loss. Um, And actually, interestingly, the lower your iron is, sometimes having low iron can also mean that your periods become heavier. So it's like this kind of vicious circle. Um, thyroid issues can quite often crop up, particularly sort of 40 plus. So I would, you know, really stress to women to get their thyroid levels checked because that can that can cause hair loss. In fact, thyroid issues can actually mimic lots of different um, med- symptoms i think over exercising can really exacerbate it and also and i'm just looking at myself here because i've just put my hair up you know if you're working out and you're constantly pulling your hair back you can get what's called traction alopecia which is where you know you start to lose it around your kind of temples um but yeah, lots of things to do. But if you are experiencing hair loss, the first thing I would say is to go and talk to your GP and get your B12, your ferritin, which is your iron, uh, your vitamin D and your thyroid levels tested. And I mean, over here, it's kind of, you know, we have to wait for a GP appointment at the moment, but but people are getting back in. But there's lots of private, um, you know, like online home testing kits, which are about what? 50, 70 quid checks
0: is one of them Do you yeah. have that then? We have a, a company called Let's Get Checked Which okay. is, they're Irish But they're like they're, they're massive over in America And stuff They're based only like Literally 10 minutes down the road uh, So yeah you can get But they're a little bit more expensive Than that But um, yeah you can get your They, they kind of have a per For like male gender And then your your general Kind of normal vitamins Like your vitamin D Your B12 Your ferritin All that kind of stuff So it is um There are options here as well the um the next question I'm going to ask was the the second last question you mentioned about kind of weight gain for those going through that next chapter of their lives around perimenopause and menopause. And one of the beliefs around perimenopause and menopause is that the metabolism slows down. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is why I've pulled out my hair because I've asked this question so often. <laughs> uh, what is the actual truth? about kind of like is it your metabolism or is it a kind of like that because you're not sleeping or what is the actual case
1: well I th- it's so multifactorial but yeah there was that 2020 quite large study which actually showed that your metabolism doesn't slow till you hit 60 and even then it's not even by that much yeah. which i think really threw a lot of people didn't it, it was like what that cannot be right yeah. um but what it doesn't kind of the nuances, I think that it doesn't tap into is the fact that we are losing muscle mass, you know, which does impact metabolism. I think not as not to the degree that, that some people try and make out it, you know, it doesn't have that much of an impact, but it it, it it certainly kind of adds up. We're not sleeping well at this time, which makes us hungrier the next day. You know, we're more inclined to kind of make poorer food choices. Um, we can, you know, those those symptoms that we're experiencing can make us quite sedentary. Um, you know, we're not we're not exercising as much. Women are experiencing things like bladder weakness. So they may well, you know, be put off exercising. Uh, so I think it's it's a combination of of all those things really
0: yeah like like if you're not if you're not sleeping the last thing you want to do is exercise like your body just goes into shutdown mode and sloth mode and you're like you're not going to move as much as you probably have you're not going to be in the mood to eat as wholesome 80 20 as you probably would need or you're not going to want to really do anything so it's it was impacting your sleep but there's the first point of call if you look at like you're going to be more stressed could be you probably a lot of people will like either undereat or overeat when they get stressed. So it's a, it's a massive, massive knock on effect. And I think that's that 2020 study. I've quoted that a few times and the people are like, I don't believe you. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, that's what it says. That's what it says. It's not until you're after 60, if you've got thyroid issues, you can still get medications to make it as normal range as possible. So there still are options. Uh, but I think it's understanding that when that, sh- why do people, why do those who are going through the, the next chapter, the, the, The fat distribution changes. I think this is one another thing. Is it kind of goes from more like quad dominant and hip dominant towards more bum and belly dominant. Why does that happen?
1: Yeah. So estrogen gives us that kind of quote unquote feminine figure. So a nipped in waist, you know. Carrying more weight around the the hips and the breasts. And then as those levels drop, we can become a little bit more androgenic, so male pattern shaped, so a bit more kind of apple shaped. Um, And we also need to remember that fat cells actually produce a type of estrogen. So as your body detects that levels are declining, it it kind of it wants to hold on to that fat for all at all costs because you know one of the reasons is it's it's creating some um, estrogen so that's why I think previously maybe you skip dinner a couple in your twenties you skip dinner a couple of nights a week you know and you you drop a dress size suddenly your forties and your fifties that just doesn't cut it unfortunately um, you need to be incredibly and I mean I realise that you know this you just have incredibly consistent about it right and I think there's also this thing of you know I'm really quote unquote good in the week and then everything kind of goes to pot at the weekend so yeah it, it, there's a lot of behavioral change um, issues that I think we need to make sure that women kind of understand and also just keeping that accountability which is where you come in right
0: yeah, it, it, I think when people say, "Right, right, I'm going to go on the next diet, I'm kind of like, right, is it your mindset first or is the diet first? You're kind of, well, the mindset's probably driving most of these behavior and things that you're doing at the minute. So it's probably getting rid of that all or nothing approach and that language I've been, I've been good or bad. You've been good because you had soup for, for lunch. I would say that's not a meal. It's a starter on a, on a menu. It's not yeah. a meal. Yeah. Um. So like, yeah, soup and a sandwich, like it, it's fine and stuff, but there's not enough protein in it. There's veggies in it, which is one tick, but maybe throwing a little bit of chicken or something like that into the into the sandwich or something to get protein in. But yeah, getting rid of that all or nothing mindset where making your head work for you will probably work a lot better than just going for the next quick fix. And you mentioned that dirty C-word of consistency, which a lot of people don't really like. Um it's the own sexy thing that a lot of people just or that sexy thing of like six-week belly buster menopause. I don't know what else I could try and I can come up with, but we've all been sucked into them. Um, I think it's important to actually look at, right? Is it a, like a fad diet means food, food avoidance diet. And then if you look at how many quick fixes you've gone for, has it actually made the process longer for you or has it actually got to where you want to go? And more often than not, it's made it longer for you. The last question is it's world menopause day on the 18th, the day after this kind of comes out, how important is it to actually celebrate this and bring this awareness to this day? Because I don't. I think this is probably the first. Well, like all I can think of is probably the, the the biggest day, biggest year of celebrating it because it's been suppressed and taboo on it for so long. So, how important is it to raise awareness around that day?
1: Yeah, it's really important. Um, I think it's really kind of gathered momentum because so many celebs are talking about their own experiences, um, which is great. But we do need to remember that you know they are celebrities and they do have access to all sorts of things that, you know, regular women like me don't. Um, So it's brilliant that they're talking about it more. But I think it's also important to remember that they are not... You know, they can talk about their lived experiences, but they're not always qualified to talk about the things that they do. Um, So do bear that in mind. I think it's important for anyone who's looking on social media to make sure that they're getting their information from qualified sources. Uh, But that's just a little aside. Uh, I think every day needs to be menopause awareness day. So, you know, we need to, and I think it's brilliant that you're doing what you're doing. So, you know, we need to get men on board. We need to make sure that they're included in the conversation. We need to educate ourselves. We need to educate each other. We need to talk about it. We need to, um, you know, share that, those that the evidence-based information that we come across. I think we need to stop laughing about it and making jokes um, particularly in the workplace, that that is something that I see a lot. Um, I think for men, you know it's important to listen, to to show empathy um, and you know be aware like I've like I said earlier, that it happens to all women. It's not just older women. Um, and I think for PTs, it's important that they have almost like a, a kind of list of um, approved resources, I guess, so that they can signpost women to those places when needed um because there is sadly you know still a lot of misinformation and a lot of shame and a lot of stigma around the subject it is we're slowly kind of chipping away at it but i think there's still a long you know a long long way to go
0: i really like that idea of kind of like for pts and nutrition it's important to have those kind of resources or have those people that you can send people to to kind of have that like I know I have like five or six people that I would like if I have a physio in a certain area of the country I would like right go to that person or whatever it may be or if you have a dietitian you want to work with I would like right go to order Walsh or whatever it may be so it's it's important to have that kind of toolkit for yourself and also for nutritionists and pts it's important to stay in your lane it's the biggest like stay in your stay in your lane like most people aren't qualified. Like I look at my PT course when I first did it. There was nothing about female health. There was nothing about female menstrual cycles. There was nothing on that side of things. I had to self-teach myself and then do courses afterwards. Like my parents find it bizarre, like me watching three-hour lectures on menstrual cycles. It's kind of like, yeah, it. It you have to, you have to educate yourself. But you have to know what your cap is as well. Um, and there are amazing courses out there. There are amazing uh, people out there you can refer to and learn off them. There's podcasters, there's, there's Emma's book. Where can people find out about the book, Emma?
1: So it's available from all good bookstores and online. Um, you can also buy it via my website, which is just emmabardwell.com. Um, so, yeah, it's a, nice. it's a great book. It's got amazing reviews.
0: I don't know it's, it's an incredible book. I would highly recommend for, for people to... To, there's this there's yourself uh lara bryden and then there's dr philippa k's book that i'd highly recommend people to kind of look at because it breaks down those complex things in the world and explains it if it's talking to someone who's completely new to the realm and it's 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 a unique skill so massive congratulations to the book i put the link into the show notes if people want to purchase it emma thank you so much for for coming on
1: thank you for having me it's a delight and um, keep doing what you're doing because i think it's absolutely brilliant
0: thank you so much Thank you so much to Emma who has come onto the podcast today. I really hope you have found that episode really, really useful. If you are a coach or if you are going through this next stage of your life, this is relatable and applicable to everyone. It's important that what we spoke about, if you are a nutritionist or a PT, it's important to stay in your lane. If you are someone who's potentially going through this next stage of your life, it's important to have that awareness, have that open conversation. Know that everyone else potentially in your circle or a lot of people in your circle Are going through this or have gone through this or will go through this so the conversation needs to be opened up so i really hope you enjoy this very special episode to celebrate world menopause day 2022 and if you're interested in working with emma or if you want to purchase the book i'll put the links into the show notes as always please do share the podcast up on your social media please do tag me please do review it or leave reviews up on itunes or on spotify the more that happens the more i can continue the podcast and the more the the, the, the bigger the guest the, the the i will continue the podcast as much as that continues to grow so thank you again for your support i really hope you've enjoyed the episode with emma